Hi there, and welcome to Product Storyteller. My name is Stuart Noyce, and this is my personal podcast, where I dive into stories of and about product innovation, the crucially important process that satisfies unmet need with unique value. From the origins of the internet to the future of crypto platforms, from Haas MBA classmates to Burning Man makers, I cover the ground where entrepreneurs and business leaders create new value with a wisdom that ensures our shared future. Product Storyteller explores the durable edge of free market capitalism, where people practice restraint and live in community with one another. If you love it, give it a great review and subscribe on iTunes or elsewhere to catch every interview that's coming. My guest for the next two episodes of Product Storyteller is Don Peppers. In 1993, Don and his co-author Martha Rogers released the book One to One Future and caught the imagination of a generation of internet-based marketers who could now build brand relationships one customer at a time. Encouraged by testimonials from Tom Peters and other leading strategists, Don and Martha would go on to co-author 13 books on the subject of one-to-one marketing and launch the Peppers and Rogers Group consulting firm which still today drives customer-centric thinking into brands around the world. Before products are bought, or services delivered, or problems solved, a salesperson makes a promise to a customer that satisfies an unmet need. Revenue is soon exchanged, and their one-to-one relationship is extended. Elite salespeople do this repeatedly, earning the trust of their clients through an authentic relationship developed over months and years. They listen carefully and offer solutions when they recognize an ability to help. That alone would be enough to describe a foundation of durable capitalism. But what I want to share with you in these two episodes is the prophetic nature of the first book that Don wrote in collaboration with Martha Rogers. In One to One Future, Don and Martha essentially created the direct marketing future we live in today through their predictions. Of the 10 points they made, all came true except for one. They fully expected that businesses would emerge to make money protecting consumers' privacy rather than threatening it. It still gnaws at him that this doesn't exist today, as he sees trust to be critical to an authentic company-customer relationship. I agree with Don on this point and remain surprised that we as consumers have not done more to punish companies that have abused our trust. After all, we have evidence of the real cost today, from identity theft to election manipulation. As we got into the interview, it became clear that we would need two episodes. In this initial segment, you get the chance to meet Don, learn what drives him, and begin to understand the power of his authentic approach to sales, marketing, and life. With respect to privacy, we decided to go deeper into possible paths that marketers and governments can take now to bring us back to a more trusting relationship. This important conversation comes in part two. You'll just have to wait until next week for it. But for now, let's listen to Don Peppers. So, uh, Don, this is great. I'm really happy to be here with you uh, here in Menlo Park. And uh, why don't we start off with an introduction, get to know you a little bit better. And let's talk first about what big unmet need is addressed by the dozen or so business books uh, you and Martha Rogers have written. Well, I like to say our life's mission has been uh, uh, to make the world safe for customers, fundamentally. That's what we've dedicated our entire career toward, uh, and uh, we're not there yet. There are decades worth of consulting ahead of us still. Excellent. Uh, and how did you first meet Martha? Uh, I had given a speech 
uh, about what I thought the future of marketing would look like in an age of interactivity. And I was invited to give the speech again once in Toledo, Ohio, at the ad club there. And so I, get, I was an advertising executive uh, at a big agency. And so, you know, I, I went because there were, might be prospects there and so forth. And so I gave the talk, and afterwards, uh, a woman stood up and said, uh, or, uh, she came up to me afterwards and she said, uh, you ought to write a book on this. Uh, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty busy. Uh, and she said, yeah, but I'm a marketing professor down the road at Bowling Green State University here in Ohio. Uh, uh, and I teach my kids about technology and the internet, uh, not the internet, but technology and the future of, of technology and how it's impacting marketing. Um, um, and you got a lot of good ideas. Maybe you want to collaborate? So we shook hands, and so we started sending faxes back and forth, back and forth. And that's how we started our uh, collaboration. That was in 1990, January 1990. We first met. Um, and uh, uh, I'd, I'd never met her before. And Martha uh, 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 said, well, the first thing we ought to do is find an agent. Uh, I said, well, okay, fine. How, we, how do we do that? She says, I'm going to look at the books that we really liked. We really liked uh, John Naisbitt's book. His agent was a guy named uh, Raphael Segalen in Washington, D.C., Rafe Segalen. Uh, and so she contacted Rafe, uh, and Rafe liked the idea initially. And um, so we took Rafe on as an agent and started working on the book. Excellent. So do you still work with Martha? Off and on, Martha's more retired than I am right now. Uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, she's living in New York City. We talk. I have a call scheduled with her next week. We talk every once in a while. Um, um, uh, we still go out uh, speaking uh, independently. Both of us have uh, spoken extensively for the World Business Forum, uh, World Sales and Marketing Forum, all the Wobe conferences, and and so we we keep up. Okay, excellent. Um, how did you make your money? I mean, you're writing books, right? So right. was that the only way, or is it, you know, were there other ways to There's make no money? There's no money in books, okay? <laughs> uh, our our yeah. books have sold over a million copies, and I bet I can count the uh, amount. Well, uh, here, let me put it this way. Uh, we felt um, that the books would be driving business in the form of presentations. Sure. So once our book came out once the one-to-one -one future didn't we didn't have the one-to-one -one future in our hand and, and it wasn't published until august 1993 it took us three and a half years to write the book we wrote really three books in that time and um, uh, eventually settled on this the correct way to make the argument um, uh, and uh, i was an independent i by that time left the ad agency world and was doing freelance work i was working for um, uh, on a consulting basis for a, a couple of different ad agencies, helping them win new clients. That was my expertise. And, and uh, so uh, once the book came out, uh, and then um, uh, and I'll remember the first review we got was in Fortune magazine. It came out in December 1993. The only word I remember from that whole review, I don't have a copy of it, was the word obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> Obnoxiously written or something like that because we'd written the book um, counter to the style at the time in, entirely in the second person. You should do this. You should do this. Oh. You should think of it this way. You should do this. And, and the writer felt it was obnoxious. The very next week, however, Tom Peters, you remember Tom Peters? I do. Okay. He's still around. He's a good guy. In Search of Excellence, Search correct? of Excellence. 
he had a nationally syndicated news column, uh, advice column on, on business issues, and he named our book his choice for book of the year in 1993. He said it had kept him, uh, kept him awake on an entire overnight flight going from L.A. to New York, and he thought it was a brilliant book. He, he really liked it, and that put us on the map. Uh, so once that review came out, uh, of course, that went right on the, the cover of the book, Tom Peters' Book of the Year. Right. Um, and uh, book sales came off. And believe it or not, in uh, early 1994, about six months after our book was written, the first commercial web browser became available. Up until then, the, there was no World Wide Web, really. There was an internet which mostly was used by military and, uh, and, and, and colleges, okay? A um, lot of research. Yeah. I was involved in that, by the way. I was there you heavily, are. I was heavily involved yep. at Sun Microsystems during that time from about 88 to 92. So during yeah. the time you were gestating, yep. I was uh, busy working on those first commercial implementations of mm, internet networks and, right. and starting to get them manageable, which... I, it's kind of interesting because that actually gets you to a place where you can have web browsers and there's a, a critical mass for it. So we're tied in that way. There you are. We, we're, we're, we are uh, two old guys hashing over old times before people had cell phones and, 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 and web browsers. I know. I know. Kids, get off <laughs> when our When they lawn. used to actually dial a phone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. There used to be. Right. Rotary dials. Exactly. I grew up with one. Uh, the old days. All right. Anyway. So, <laughs> so where did I, I got off the track? Um, well, so you were, you were, you were talking about So how do we um, make money? So how do we make, yeah. you asked how we make money. Yeah. And fundamentally, uh, our entire business has been based on um, speaking and doing workshops uh, and doing consulting. Um, uh, we we um, brought on a, a, a CEO, a guy named Bob Dorf, because neither of us could run a company. Um, and Bob was the ex-head uh, uh, of Dorf and Stanton, the old PR firm. Okay. He'd sold his business. He was attracted by the idea, and he came on board. And we said, look, we're going to get these speaking fees and so forth. We'll give you a piece. We'll keep a piece. We'll put a piece in the business so we can pay costs. Uh, we kind of had a fee-splitting thing, and we were off to the races. And, we, and we've you know, done that ever since. That's excellent. So is the, is the business still basically the same today? Oh, no, it's transformed immensely. Okay. Um, uh, first of all, um, so uh, in the early days, uh, we did a lot of our speaking on behalf of vendors, uh, vendors who wanted to sell the tools to the gold miners who are going to the CRM gold mine. Okay, right. We wrote this book about relationship management, um, and it became a, a cult hit among webmasters. Remember that old term, webmasters? I do. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and uh, so you had companies like um, Steve Blank's Epiphany, okay, um, um, uh, Pihong Chen's Broad Vision. Um, uh, you had Pivotal, Cordiant. Uh, all these companies were selling things to um, customize the web page for the individual user. You know, according to one one. In fact, Broad Vision named their program One to One and asked us for permission. We, we gave it to them for free because we wanted to popularize the term. Sure. Um, uh, they wanted to treat different customers differently in this new age of interactivity. And so uh, they would hire us to go out and um, give a talk, and then they would sign contracts or get you know, enlist prospects at the back of the room, right? That's because we're telling people what they ought to be doing as businesses, and if you were excited about it, hey, here's some software that can help you do part of this, right? So we did a lot of that, and 
and leading up to the dot-com boom, all these companies were private. And, uh, and they didn't have a lot of cash, but they had stock. Mm. And so we got a, we got a lot of stock. Uh, <laughs> and then when they did go public, we, we made a lot of money. Uh, it was really fun um, uh, uh, until it wasn't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so that's uh, but but in the fun in, in, in uh, just w one more thing. Uh, uh, so we were sure. talking about we were we were doing talks, uh, professional talks, but we also um, realized that if we're going to stay on top of our game, then we need to know what's really going on out there in the field, and we needed to have some consulting uh, mm. operation going on so we could help. Companies are always saying, "Can you come and consult?" And we're not really consultants and we don't even own any we don't didn't have any consultants and what would so, that even mean for you right well yeah um you know obviously they would pay us for our time um but we wouldn't make nearly as much as we make in a, in a physical appearance in front of a crowd um uh and so it would have would have been a tough business model for us personally but um uh bob and martha and i agreed uh, what we ought to do is just we ought to become a consulting firm but if we're going to become a consulting firm we have to give up all these Vendor relationships because we have to be. Oh, you have to be yeah, independent. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have to be. Uh, an, you know, um, uh, independent. Uh, and so we went to Silicon Valley, uh, and we interviewed some VC companies. Uh, every VC company we talked to said, "Hey, change your name. Put dot com at the back." It was called Peppers and Rogers Group, and they said, "Put put make it Peppers and Rogers Group dot com." Dot com. <laughs> no, no, we didn't want to do that. Uh, we wanted to hire. We wanted to hire some consultants, and um, eventually. Um, more David Al and Internet Capital Group. Roger McNamee's More David Al uh, and and uh, uh, and more uh, Roger McNamee's Internet Capital Group and and More David Al. Um, more David Al, by the way, is like four blocks from where we're sitting right now. Okay, it's a, I could walk to the front door of More David Al. They ended up putting twenty million dollars in, so we hired a big CEO from McKinsey, and he began hiring real consultants. And mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. 2000, 2001, we had a couple hundred consultants on uh, in, in several continents, Europe, Middle East, That's a Australia. significant change. Big, big deal. Uh, and now what Martha and I were doing, we we're still doing the paid engagements, okay? Uh, but we also could be brought in as the property by the Peppers and Rogers Group consultant. Hey, we could get Don here himself or Martha here herself. Right. And, and people really liked that. Of course they did. And yeah. I would say one thing too that is what struck me during that was because you have so much reach now into so many different companies, mm -hmm. now you have so much more information, so much yes, more knowledge exactly. that mm -hmm. you can then process and, and come to some more sort of interesting conclusions. So more, maybe, more, more than that, Stuart. Yeah? It, we also hired a lot of very smart people. Uh, mm -hmm. And they are all, they're all and, and they could teach us a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and not only that, uh, um, there's a whole diaspora of ex-Peppers and Rogers Group consultants out there, okay? Uh, 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 probably over a thousand of them altogether that we keep in touch with uh, off and on. We still do occasional contract engagements. I'm always in touch with stuff. And the, and the Peppers and Rogers Group name has gone through many iterations, but sure. it's still fundamentally alive and it's now owned by some Arab commodity in, in the Middle East. That's fascinating. Okay, so with all, yes, of, all of this activity yeah. over, well, since, 90, since 1990, so that's yeah. really 30 years now. Bingo. Right? 30 yeah. years. Yeah. So uh, over 30 years, do you have one uh, thing that you can pick out that you feel maybe is your greatest accomplishment? Hmm. I think our greatest accomplishment uh, 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 was um, 
the, the, the several very accurate predictions we made in the one-to-one -one future book. Um, uh, we predicted e-commerce. We predicted social media. We predicted the gig economy. We didn't call it any of that, okay? We called it taking products to customers, not customers to products. We called it image tribes, not social media. You know, we, we called it um, uh, um, uh, the, um, uh, we said there will be two classes of um, workers in the future. Instead of haves and have-nots, there'll be the theirs and their nots, okay? Oh. Okay? Um, yeah. uh, and in, independent, uh, and, and that, I, I think, uh, it really shaped the whole. I think it shaped the whole decade. I, I don't think I'm bragging there. I think we really had an influence on the on the decade, and it was a fantastic time. It was a lovely time, one wonderful time, a lot of fun, and and we got a lot done. Right, and and the pictures, you you guys look great. Well, thank you. You're young, and yeah. You're vibrant, yeah. and everything. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, at some point, we're going to get into the. <coughs> excuse me, the 13 books that you've put on the sure. table here in front of me. I'm, I'm like yeah. fascinated by the amount of work that's gone in here. So. But I think it really is fascinating that it all starts with that one-to-one -one future, and it starts yeah. with the, ch the many chapters and the sort of thinking that you went through during that time, which actually took you, like you said, three years. So three you years, were giving yeah. this some real thought. Now, is Martha, as a collaborator, yeah. was she bringing something else to this oh, that yeah. you, yeah, 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 that yeah, maybe, yeah. A, maybe a more like an academic she, approach? She had a, well, no, she had a great perspective herself. She had contributed a lot of the ideas, and you know, it's, and, and by the way, we have a, Lifetime pact, we never tell anybody who wrote which words in which books ever, okay? We just don't do that. Very good. We both wrote all the books. Right, okay? right. Um, and uh, Martha, uh, Martha taught me a whole lot. She's, she, first of all, she's a brilliant presenter. Mm. You should see her present. And, and I thought I was a good speech maker. I was on the debate team in college. I, you know, and I, I thought I was a really good, but she is good, okay? And I learned so much from her. Um, uh, and, and people, you know, sometimes uh, people, uh, sometimes they would, we'd be traveling somewhere together and they'd give us adjoining rooms. And they, then they'd say, well, you know, somebody in the conference says, well, aren't you, aren't you all married? You've been together for like 10 years. Yeah, we are married, but not to each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you um, had a collaboration, which is, uh, which is different. And, and it, yes, it, it was. And might have been. It's very rich. Yeah, very exactly. Rich. Yeah. So, um. Now, what, how did you come to be interested in marketing? Uh, through the back door. Uh, I've never actually take, I've taken a course in marketing, ever, not, not even one. Um, uh, but, you know, the truth is marketing uh, is the kind of entrepreneurial thing that you either, you either get it or you don't get it. And if you don't get it, you could take 100 courses and you're not going to get it. Um, uh, and if you do get it, it's going to take you a few weeks to learn almost everything you really need to know Today. Okay, so I have to completely, yeah. completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. I have an MBA mm -hmm. from Berkeley Haas, mm -hmm. and I took a number of marketing courses because I took one and yeah. I was like, well, this is, this is where I belong. I mean, uh -huh. I love this, right? Yeah. I just, and I, I totally understand because now after 30-some years of my own in marketing, I have that same reaction. Like yeah. you can explain it to people, but yeah. unless they really are put, put their mind around it yeah. as people that are buying my product and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm in a mind share. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot that goes into that process and it's very intuitive. I think, I think it's an issue of uh, um, uh, having a nose for sniffing out the value that exists between 
two different parties, the customer and the proprietor, uh, a friend and a friend. Uh, what, and, and, uh, it's, and, and in that sense, it's very, um, uh, very entrepreneurial. Okay, so I want to I want to say yeah. something before we yeah. we're going to start diving into one to one future now. Sure. Okay. So one of the things that I think we did come to understand was we're going to do this in two parts. Okay. Because this is right. This interview yeah. is uh, okay. We we have so much too to much talk to about. do. There's too much to do. So we're going to yeah. do this in two parts. This first one we're going to just dive into one to one future and, and uh, begin to understand okay. what it means. And the part that's really interesting before we go mm -hmm. into that is your take on how it came together because sure. there is a a certain level of intuition that I think you had to become so prophetic. You mm -hmm. have to be thinking about this in a way that no one else is understanding. So maybe is, was okay. there something going on yeah, there that you felt absolutely, like? Absolutely. Uh, uh, I told you I was in the advertising world and my job was getting new clients. Okay. And this is 1980s, late 80s. Uh, and so uh, in the mornings I would come into work and I would get out the advertising directory and I'd go through names of advertising directors, marketing managers, marketing VPs at different companies. Uh, and I would call them up on the phone in a cold call, and, uh, uh, and I wanted to reach them. Now, my goal was not to tell them about my agency. Uh, at the time, I worked for Levine, Huntley, Schmidt, and Beaver. Really, we used to call ourselves the smart aleck Jewish agency in New York City. You know, uh, I got an honorary yarmulke when I won our first account. Okay. Uh, but I was hired to do this, to, to, to bring in new clients. My goal, when I got, if I got you on the phone, um, I would make conversation, Stuart, and I want you to tell me things. And I would write it down in a three-ring binder under your name and the date that we talked, and, and I'd write stuff down. I'd star anything I need to follow up on. Um, this is your CRM database. It's my CRM database. That's what I did. Uh, but the goal was I knew who you were. I knew the company I'd called, and five months Later, I would call you again. Five, six months later, I'd call you again, hey, and I'd say, Stuart, hey, how'd that, how'd that product launch go in, uh, where was that? In, that was in Columbia, or where, where, where was it? And I wanted you to tell me about your business, right? Uh, I want, and I wrote more stuff down so I would know you better. Uh, all I wanted to do was have a relationship with you so that if and when I read in Adweek or AdAge that your account had gone into review, you would take my call. That's all I wanted. Of course. Of course. Okay, so fast forward to um, I'm now at uh, Lintas, big global agency. I'm in charge of business development at Lintas. Uh, um, um, and uh, um, one of the things I'm in charge of is placing executives at public speaking events for raising the profile of the agency. So the um, uh, uh, advertising Association had a national convention in Washington, D.C. This was in 1989, in August 1989. They had a national convention in Washington, D.C., um, and they had a last-minute cancellation. They had had a speaker booked from some agency somewhere um, on the impact of interactivity on advertising. So they call me, would our agency take it? I said, yes, no problem, we'll take that. And I went to the media director, and I said, hey, I've booked you at this talk uh, da, 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 da. It's on, and, 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 and Lou, Lou was his name. Lou said, I'm not going to do that. I said, yeah, yeah, you need to do this thing. No, I'm, I'm, I can't say anything new about interactivity. Come on, everybody knows what interactivity is about. And by, the, and by the way, I'm busy. His assistant wouldn't do it, so I had to take the slot. Um, uh, okay, so I, in those days, 
companies had corporate libraries, and Lintas had a library. And I, uh, their, uh, their own little office with books and journals and things, you know. And so I went in there and I tried to get smart, um, uh, all this stuff about interactive. In those days, advertising people uh, and all marketing people really thought interactivity. When interactivity occurred, um, you'd see a TV commercial for something that you liked on television. You'd push a button on your set-top box and a coupon would print out. Uh, you know, that was the scope of interactivity that they thought about. Um, I couldn't find any real data um, uh, that would in give me an insight, but I did a thought experiment, Stuart. I asked myself, when the day comes that a child can talk back to Tony the Tiger on television, what will Kellogg do with that information as a marketer, as an advertiser? Sure. And the answer is they wouldn't do anything with it because it's anecdotal information. It's not representative. It's not projectable. It's anecdotal. But I, that's exactly what I was doing. That was my day job. I was calling people up and get, I wanted them to talk to me. Right. So right. My, my insight was when interactivity really happens, even consumer goods companies are going to want to set up relationships with their customers. They're going to want to hear from their customers and use that information to better relate to them in the future, make it more likely that they will buy. And so that was my insight. And so that's, I, I gave that talk. And I, I called the talk the miniaturization of, of marketing. Um, uh, and and, and I said, what year was yeah, this? This is August 1989. Was, that's, I gave that talk in August August 1989. Okay, so, now, now hang on a minute. I want to say one more step of the story because yeah, yeah, yeah. this is important. So um, I gave the talk and I had thought carefully about how do people interact today? Well, they interact with phone. They interact with postal mail. Um, they interact face-to-face. They interact with fax machines. So uh, I gave the talk and I talked about all these interactive tools and I said, you know, maybe it, someday it'll come that the fax machine will be an interactive tool. So a guy stands up uh, uh, in, uh, in the question and answer period, the comment period. He said, you know, um, uh, I get your thing on fax machines, but the truth is nobody owns a fax machine. It's clunky thermal paper. They cost $450 each. Who has a fax machine in their home? Now, do you remember Chris Whittle? No, no, I don't. Chris Whittle was an entrepreneur who made millions of dollars by putting television sets in classrooms for free, paid for by the advertising that ran one minute an hour in the classroom. And I said, well, it's only a matter of time before some entrepreneur does what Chris Whittle did. And, uh, and, and I thought, mm. I said, no, no, never happened. And, and I went on, maybe you're right. And I, I went back uh, and I started working on a business plan for doing just that. I wanted to work <laughs> on a business plan for putting fax machines in people's homes. So I called my company Home Fax. Um, I got a good friend of mine, Chippy Witzer, who was, uh, had a background in investment banking. I, I met him at Princeton Grad School like 15 years, 20 years before. Um, and uh, um, uh, Chip, uh, uh, Chippy Witzer went, in, uh, went a whole hog into this. He thought it was a really good idea. Uh, we put a business plan together, and we uh, first we put a business model. Here's the way home fax would work: you put a home, you put a, you 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 get the home fax, you get the fax for free from us and all the paper you need. 
Um, in order to do that, you have to fill out a questionnaire with all your wants, wants and needs and uh, brands you buy, things like things that we can sell to advertisers, uh, uh, that we can communicate to them, which we would communicate without ever revealing your identity. The only way they could reach you is through us. We're the host, right? Um, and you agree to take uh, up to two pages of advertising per day, along with all the fax machine faxes that people send you. And you don't have to have a special phone number in your house either. You can hook your fax machine up to your home number because it's never going to answer the phone. When you come home, you want to get your faxes, you go to the fax machine, you turn it on, you speed dial our number, and it downloads the faxes for you that you've received during the day. Okay? Um, and by the way, um, if you're hungry for pizza or uh, chili or something, you want some takeout, uh, we have a directory with the menus of all the local establishments who've paid to be part of us, and you can use the directory, touch in that number on your touchtone phone, and download the menu, download the stuff. Does this begin to sound sounds, like interesting? Sounds great. Yeah, so that model, that business model that we came up with was the model for how we thought interactivity would work, basically. And it's a, not a bad analogy for how the World Wide Web actually does work. So if you think about it, starting from the idea that there's this basic concept of an expensive resource and then mm. Mm, we'll use advertising to pay for it so you can get, yeah. get it in front of you. Mm -hmm. But now that's in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden it changes. It's a real game changer. And what's interesting, though, is you're now at the mercy of technology that is out of your control because the faxes didn't last very long, did they? No, no. I'm so glad we didn't get funding. We were looking for, <laughs> Chip and I were looking for $9 million of funding, and we wanted it from only from strategic partners. We, Murata uh, and another fax machine company both put up $3 million, uh, and we didn't get the third $3 million. And then our book came out, and then the web browser happened, and Chip and I looked at each other and said, oh, like, man, we, better we, we really <laughs> dodged a bullet. <laughs> exactly. We dodged a bullet. Yeah. Honest to gosh, that's, I mean, that, the thing about uh, entrepreneurship yeah. and, and just kind of this, this whole story so far is there's this combination of sort of intuition mm -hmm. and a certain a sense of um, entrepreneurial understanding and, yeah. and sort of desire, yeah. and then a lot of luck that goes along right. with it, right? right. So, is, that, is there anything else that you would say was really sort of an important factor in that? Because those are three factors I saw. Anything else that you're thinking about? I will tell you, uh, um, uh, perspicaciousness, okay? Uh, <laughs> it takes grit. If you had told me how hard it was to write a book, I would never have tried to write a book, ever. Okay. It's the hardest thing I ever did. Uh, and, and yet, it, it was so rewarding. Um, uh, and, and, and now we've written uh, Okay, so now let's go yeah. into that. What does yeah. it take to make a book? And let's start with the one-to-one -one future. And I'm holding it in okay. my hand. Okay. Sorry for you on the, in the, in yeah, the sure. podcast land. No one's going to be able to see this. But, All right. so, but I've got it in my hand. So, so Martha and I started working on the book. We didn't have the title for the book or anything else. Um, uh, but uh, uh, basically, uh, we wrote about technology. Uh, Rafe got us in touch with Harriet Rubin, an editor at Doubleday. They had a new imprint called Currency at Doubleday, and Harriet was the editor of this new imprint. And Harriet was very intelligent, and, and, and she said, look, I, I read some of the proposal and some of the, uh, some of the uh, sample chapters. She said, you're writing a book about technology, and here's the problem. Technology, you write a book about technology, it's going to be out of date in two years, mm -hmm. maybe five, maybe two years, okay? What are businesses going to do with this technology? You need to write about that. Give us, what are, you going to, what are they going to do with this technology? We want to know that. Okay, so my day job, I was the CEO at 
Perkins Butler Direct Marketing, uh, which was the Shiat Day Direct Marketing Agency. Okay, I was in charge of uh, direct marketing, uh, and I got and, there. And what did, by the way, what was direct marketing in that? In that it was that mostly time? direct mail, most almost all direct mail. Okay, um, and um, I got that job because I was so interested in direct stuff, interactive stuff, and direct mail was the only interactive thing you had at that time, and even though it took weeks to do, but you know, it was interactive. So Perkins Butler had American Express as a client. Uh, Ogilvy also had American Express as a client. Ogilvy had the green card, Perkins Butler had the gold card. So we were responsible. Now, here's, here's the problem that people used to have with American Express. If you had a green card on American Express and you switched to a gold card, you would get two letters. One from us in charge of the gold card. Welcome aboard, Stuart. This is a terrific card. You're going to love these benefits. Look at all this, the travel benefits. Everything. And you'd get another letter from the green card. Be, oh, Stuart, what can we do to get you back? We're so sad to see you go. <laughs> Total nonsense, right? Of course. Okay. So we're trying to figure out how can we fix this for American Express? How can we do this? Um, and um, meeting with a couple folks on the team, and we said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what? The way American Express ought to allocate their accounts is not by product, but by customer. They should give us a few hundred thousand customers, and we should be responsible for all the communications to them, and give Ogilvy uh, uh, several million customers if they're so much bigger, you know, and, and they could be responsible for that. Uh, and that way, we would measure our success uh, not in terms of market share, but in terms of share of customer. And the strength of the relationship would be more important than the scale of the operations. The scope of the relationship would be more important than the scale of operation. And we're going to take products to customers. We're not going to take customers to products. We're going to take our product. We're finding products for customers. Yeah. And we're going to, and, and, and so we wrote these things down. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, so I wrote a few other lines down. I sent 10 lines to Harriet. I said, Harriet, here's the chapter titles, okay? Customers, collaborators, not uh, adversaries. Share of customer, not share of market. Um, take products to customers, not customers to products. Make money protecting privacy, not violating it. Uh, I literally wrote the chapter titles right. down, faxed it to her. She said, great, here's $50,000 as an advance. You got a book. That it's was right it. There. Those are the chapter titles. And they right. came out of a, a direct marketing meeting. Moder minor modifications, but basically every chapter title came out of that sort of brainstorming session. Engage your customers in dialogue. Exactly, exactly. Have a conversation. Yeah. And that, remember, this was the time when no one really was doing that because the technologies weren't here. You, today, this sounds routine. Of course you do that. You know, of course you do that. Not, no, not by mail, not by toll-free phone numbers. You know? We have all sorts of interesting interactive tools in the one-to-one -one future. Things like um, um, we said in those days there were... Um, Pay toll numbers. You could. Uh, there was a toll-free number, 800 number, but there were also the. I think there were 900 numbers or something where you dial a 900 number and they charge your phone like 20 cents a minute. And they're mostly like were porn lines and things like that. 
And we, so we had business suggestions for companies like, why don't you give coupons out by a, a 900 number instead of, you know, uh, um, uh, we, had, we, we wrote about the home facts model um, in, in the book. Uh, we had a lot of thinking about this. Okay, so yeah. now I'm gonna, I want to yeah. step into this, this next part, which is, so at some point, um, Inc. Magazine figures this yeah. out. Right, and yep. the editor in chief um, yeah. just says, "Hey, this is like the very best thing I've ever seen," and they put you on their cover. So, yeah, which is really, really impressive. So, did was great. did you have any thought that this was going to be your outcome? I mean, did, what was the at, as you're starting to build these ideas and you're starting to write them down? Did you just have this epiphany that, oh my God, this is going to be the the thing that changes everything, or, or was it did that sort of come later after the book comes out? Well, the more was revealed about how the World Wide Web worked, the greater our confidence became in the correctness of our predictions, fundamentally. Um, uh, and uh, um, uh, the, the biggest disappointment for us was that the term one-to-one -one marketing was eventually supplanted by um, um, the acronym for a computer program, CRM. Customer relationship management. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> yeah, it was sad. It was sad, but you know, we'll, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Uh, the the three-letter acronyms are just easier to. to I know. Say I know. And remember. I know. Okay. So uh, although although the term one-to-one -one marketing is an existing term in Japanese. Okay. They use that term. You know, I've been to Jap Japan several okay. times. So. So uh, some of the predictions that you made of the predictions sort of which ones came true that you really felt like these were sure, foundational? Sure. Yeah. E-commerce came true, share of customer came true, collaborating with your customers and co-creation, that came true. Um, we, we had a big chapter about co-creation. We didn't call it that, we call it collaboration with your, uh, we said treat your customers as collaborators. Um, um, and um, and the, uh, the chapter on image tribes and social media, that came true. The, um, the chapter that did not come true was our chapter on make money protecting privacy, not violating it. Let me just explain why um, our take on privacy protection uh, was, uh, did not come to yet, not come true yet, okay? Remember, our, we did a lot of modeling based on home facts. We did a lot of thinking about how the future of interactivity would happen based on home facts. Home facts was going to be the host for everybody's interactions, okay? We realized there would be multiple hosts, but we were a host, and as a host, we would protect our customers' identities, and, as, uh, and that was commercially successful as a strategy because the advertisers who are our clients could not reach them without going through us, okay? Uh, and if you, Stuart, never wanted to hear from Nike again, we would take them off the list, and you wouldn't, you see what I'm saying? So we were your protector. Uh, and we felt, we felt that was the, fec the effect of, uh, that was the future of, of interactivity. We couldn't, we did not imagine the self-organizing HTML-led uh, rapid expansion of the World Wide Web. We, that's one thing we missed altogether, okay, because it wasn't around yet. Um, uh, and, and By the way, we, yeah. to be fair about yeah, that, yeah. those of us who are in the middle of the development mm -hmm. of this this internet, mm -hmm. we're thinking about it very much from an enterprise perspective, yeah. and very much it was more commercial than it was anything else. Right. And when the first web browser came out, and there was mm -hmm. a, a webmaster at Sun, um, Hassan Schroeder mm -hmm. was in our circle. Mm -hmm. 
we were like, what are you doing? Did you, do, you use Mosaic, Netscape's Mosaic? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty sure that's yeah. what was mm -hmm. was uh, the first. You know, that was yeah, the first browser, browser yeah. that was yeah. out there. First first real browser. Yeah. And and you just thought about it and went, wow, how how could it be that we completely missed that? But what the the reality is that over the 30 years I've been doing product management and product marketing, things like that happen all the time, and you just have you just yes. get you surprised. Have roll, you have to roll with the punch. And right. Which is so. What's yeah. what's interesting about this is that. And I think what your, the advice that you received not to include too much technology in the mm -hmm, writing of mm -hmm, this book mm -hmm. was such that you could focus on the fundamentals of interactivity, yeah. the fundamentals yeah. of one-to-one yeah. -one connections, right. Right. the value that sales have, that the salespeople yeah. have yeah. in their relationships. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if a company can do that, then in a slightly different way, then they can expand their, their brand presence, really. And they, and they should be able to rise above the next technology by focusing on central principles. Exactly. Yeah, that's the idea. So now, though, these, company, I know, these yeah. companies are in a place where uh, they've missed the boat on something. Mm -hmm. And I, mm -hmm. I really uh, fundamentally, the main thing, I reason I wanted to even have this conversation with you was because, not only because... I'm a big fan of you know one to one, but th this part where you you made a prediction around privacy and we blew it, right? Uh, but did we? Not did, yet. Not yet. Okay. It's blown right now, but not. Uh, I, the, the game isn't over, Stuart. It's not okay. over yet. It's an infinite game, as as some people say. So we've talked already for about forty-five minutes. So I think this is probably another forty-five minutes. We'll of resume on privacy next time. After lunch. You got it. Okay.